Today's scripture reading is uh, from John. I'll be reading from the New International Version. John 20, 19-22. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked in fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. It's a phrase we hear a lot these days, and it's a phrase that's two words. Inspired living. It's kind of a joke, isn't it? Oak Ridge Country Estates. 6,000 square foot lot, 2,500 square foot home, four plans available. Beige, Beige 2, Beige 3, Sienna Beige. Only $600,000 and up, inspired living. Am I right? We used to know what a blue light special was. It was where you got out of the way on aisle 14 in Kmart. Because Robitussin D was now half price. And everybody had to stock up. These days, the ads at Kmart and all of these other places are more along the lines of 80% Egyptian cotton, 300 thread count, inspired living, 1999. The phrase has come to mean something that it never used to mean. It has come to symbolize the American status quo. It's a wonder that there's anybody depressed in this country at all with all of the inspired living that's taking place. Furniture collections are inspired. Tracked homes are inspired. Everything from our dinnerware to the paper napkins we buy are inspired. And I want to say, for those of you who saw Princess Bride, do you remember the short guy who keeps saying it's inconceivable? And Andre the Giant says to him, I do not think that word means what you think it means. To all of these advertisers, I would say, inspired, I do not think that word means what you think it means. Because if, in fact, this were the key to inspired living, life would look quite a bit different. I'm puzzled at times by this whole idea of living with inspiration. It's a funny admittance to make because some of you expect it week after week. (laughs) 
that somehow there's going to be inspiration. And I know that by God's Spirit there often is. I take no credit. But the word inspire has some important roots that I want to look at today, just briefly. To inspire means literally what? To in-breathe or breathe in. And what's the antonym? What's the opposite of inspire? Somebody said perspire. Oh, well... That, I think, is actually more true than we want to give credence to because in the modern definition of inspiration, inspired living, it seems to sort of come naturally and easily. It seems to be something that we could almost purchase. And the idea that we should have to perspire in any way, work in any significant way for anything, would seem in some ways to be the exact opposite of inspiration. Only we know that inspiration has a very high price tag, doesn't it, when you add it all up in the modern marketing vernacular. The opposite of inspire is what? Expire. Now, we've lost the meaning of that as well, haven't we? What does expire mean to most of us these days? Say again. Your food expires. You go to the grocery store. Hopefully you check the milk before you buy it because it's not to be sold after whatever date. It expires. Food expires. It becomes no longer safe for consumption. Or I'm sure we build a margin into that. But anyway, you get the idea. What else do we say about expiration? Coupons have an expiration date on them. If you're a coupon shopper, right along with my little retail theme here, you know that you can only get you can only get four for the price of one for these two days only. And be prepared to take a rain check. Yes, what else expires? You die. Wow, that's kind of morbid and harsh. And absolutely true, thank you. Expiration is used to speak of death sometimes. But if the real meaning of inspire is to in-breathe or breathe in, what's the real meaning of expire? For the breath to go out. And in the larger sense of life, it is living and dying that we're talking about. So we have these incredible words that are part of our vocabulary, and yet, because of the culture in which we live and the times in which we've lived, they've been distorted and taken other directions. And I want to just offer a piece today. I, I, I want to reflect a little bit on, on what it might mean to really have inspired living. What, what would that maybe mean or look like? Because I'll tell you what, some days I struggle with the idea of inspired living. If anything, I feel like life is one series of tasks after another and there's considerable drudgery involved in all of it. Anybody ever feel that way? Oh, come on, you're liars, half of you. (laughs) Really? Nobody, three people went, 
Well, yeah, I guess. Okay, I could admit to that. You don't feel that way? Good. I'm so glad to know I'm, I'm, I'm back among the land of the living. And um, Okay, you just saved the sermon for me. Thank you. Yeah. No, of course, we all... One sort of pedantic thing after another and the day gets eaten up. Some of you get up incredibly early, go to bed very late, and you haven't paused to breathe at all. And when you say, I haven't had time to take a breath... What are you actually saying? You know the meaning of what you're saying when you say, I haven't had time to take a breath today. How long can you hold your breath really? Not very long. Some of you 20, 30 seconds. Some of you maybe a minute. A few extraordinary people might be able to go a minute and a half, two minutes. And if you're a Navy SEAL diver that's one in a million with 25 years of training, you might be able to hold your breath three, four, five minutes. Maybe. You can't hold your breath very long. So when you say you haven't had a breath all day, that's metaphorical. You're, you have breathed all day long or you would be expired, I think is the word we're looking for. But what does that mean when you haven't had time to, to take a breath all day long? Yeah. I haven't had time to relax. Okay, that's good. Part of the common vocabulary of what we mean by that? Anybody else? Tease that thought out. Haven't had a chance to relax, haven't... Yes? We haven't had an inspirational, peaceful moment in the day. Ah, good. Time for ourselves. Great, keep going. You're too busy, you're stressed out. It's the opposite of what you want, isn't it? When you say you haven't had time to breathe all day, keep going, I'm loving this. Life is controlling you. You don't have any control over life, it feels like. Excellent, keep going. Yes? Clear thinking, not a moment for clear thinking. Oh, you're preaching with me, I'm loving it. Keep going. Haven't figured out how to say no. That's a control locus as well, isn't it? And other things along those lines. You've said yes to too many things because you're such a good person. Keep going. Yes. 100 miles an hour should slow down. I was going 85 this morning on the way to church. Not 100. I'll try to go 100 going home. Horse to the barn phenomena. No, um, 85 coming in. I went up over a hill and slowed down to 80, and there was a cop out of his car with his radar gun. <laughs> he looked like he was going to blow me over and blow my window out, and there I was, square in the headlights like a deer, with my eyes wide open. And I said to Brennan, that's it, more taxes. See, that's my philosophy. I know what the law says, but it's not a moral thing when you're in a Volvo going 80 on a good road and there's no one around. You're not going to hurt anybody. It's not about safety, to me anyway, at that point. It's just about getting from point A to point B. And you've broken the law and you deserve the $400 or whatever it's going to be. And I just call that taxes. I know we have law enforcement in the room, so I need to be very careful about that point of view. So, of course, I eased off the accelerator immediately, but I'm not the kind of guy who, like some of these people in traffic, they slam on their brakes and about 15 people come this close to ending their lives 
trying to pretend to the policeman that they weren't speeding. I'm not one of those types. I just cruise on through. Fortunately, there was an accurate in the fast lane going 83. He got to pay taxes. I made it to church unscathed. But we're going this time. Thank you. Thank you. It is. It is this time. There will be another day when my day comes to pay taxes. Always is. We go 100 miles an hour and we're not slowing down. There is a term in Africa, the natives in a particular tribe that I can't remember the name of, please forgive me, use, called Wazi Wazi. They're moving so fast that their spirits have left their bodies. They're moving so fast that their body has left their spirit behind. Wow. Wow. Can you relate or what? I know I can. I walked into my office at five minutes before this 11 o'clock and said, I've got wazzy wazzy. I've been running from one thing. We have this happen, don't we? It is essentially what you're describing, the opposite of inspired living. Isn't it? Because what we really mean by inspired living is somewhere at the very core of our being, being in touch with the breath of life and the God who gave it. Isn't that what we mean? Slowing ourselves down to feel the rhythms and the pace of life as it was given to us. Now you'll recall a couple weeks ago I was preaching on the idea of Advent based on John Webster's talk to us in August at the Ontario Convention Center. John Webster is the dean of the School of Religion at La Sierra University and his uh, matrix is incredible for this particular concept. New direction for Adventism. And I was sharing with you just a sort of brief overview of this and how we have God with us in three different distinct times and places. Webster calls it primordial when he speaks of God with man in the garden. And then you have the classic Advent, this season of Christmas, the first coming, the coming in which Jesus comes in utter vulnerability, lives life as a human being, dies as a human being in the most agonizing manner possible and humiliating manner possible. The claim is we make as Christians is that he resurrects, he is resurrected and takes his place in heaven again. And the hope we have as people of faith is that Jesus comes yet again the second time. So the idea is that as Adventists, we see a full circle. God with man in the garden. God with man now in the flesh. And God with man yet to come. And I pointed out that they are not circular or on a par. That there is value added, as it were, at each step along the way. God with Adam and Eve in the garden is not qualitatively nor substantially as great as God with us in the flesh even after sin. 
Because now Jesus has taken on flesh and he doesn't come to visit us. He lives and works and walks among us. He speaks a language that we can understand and he listens to our pain and our stories and he experiences them firsthand. He must go through all of the vulnerabilities of learning and loving and letting go. And he does this in a manner utterly pleasing to the Father. And he is resurrected and he lives and he is God in power. And he says, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. And qualitatively, that will not be the same as God with us on earth either. For now, sin and death are vanquished forever. Do you remember that sermon? Were a few of you here for that one? I think that's a sort of fair, quick recapping of the idea. Well, today I want to I draw on the same kind of idea with what I'm going to do with Scripture. In Genesis 2, around verse 7, we find that God kneels on the riverbank somewhere, forms man from dust or clay, whatever the translation renders it, He makes this android, this thing, this form. And the text says he breathed into it the breath of life. And man became a living being. So... At the sort of basic level, what I want us to try to grasp is that there are two things happening in this creation in Genesis 2. You have a form, but the form itself is only a form until it is inhabited by the energy and breath and life of God. Now, I need to take a little diversion here because, again, in our commercial culture, what do we usually think of when we think of breath? Go ahead, spit it out, preach with me here. What do we think of when we think of breath? Bad breath. Halitosis, amen. Okay, next. Air, yeah. Life. Oxygen. We think of breath usually, though, in terms of, ooh, he has terrible breath. By the way, just slip me a piece of gum or a mint on the way out if you feel that I might be offending somebody. My mouth cultivates bacteria the same as everybody else's. But that's an aside, isn't it? What we don't typically think of about breath is that breath is... How do I want to put this? Breath is sacred because it is the life of God in us. Did I say that adequately? Breath is sacred because it is the life of God in us. So when we say, I haven't had time to breathe all day, we're talking about a moment of inspiration. Right? A moment of God breathing, a moment of life lived as beings, not as doings. 
and we are called as human beings, not as human doings. Productivity is important. Doing is a part of being. But we are first and foremost living beings, aren't we? So, God breathes into Adam and he becomes a living being. No longer an android of clay. And his journey to the human experience starts in this descriptive way. Now, in our passage today, Jesus does something very special. Let's take a look at that. John 20, 19 to 22. This is a post-resurrection event. The disciples are gathered. It's the evening of the first day of the week. The disciples are together. The doors are locked and they're afraid of the Jews. And Jesus comes and stands among them mysteriously, magically. And as he's oft prone to do in times of stress or difficulty, times of expiration, times of franticness and rapid breathing, not calmness, he says... Peace be with you. The same words that he will employ to still the waters of the sea. And he invites the troubled souls in that room to be still and know that he is God. Peace be with you. It is not a greeting. It is a command. After this, He showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He had turned their sorrows into dancing, as the song says. And Jesus again said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And with that, he, what? Who sure hope he had those certs beforehand. Is that the first thought that we think? Or whatever the... hope he was chewing dentine. I love the far side. It uh, shows two alligators on the, on the, talking to one another. And the female alligator says to the male, it's obvious she's not interested in being close, Edgar, I, I have to say it's your breath. It's fresh and minty. Ponder that for just a second. Jesus, it says in verse 22, and with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. Now, in the same way that Jesus in the flesh is value added and Jesus coming in glory is value added. This moment in time is value added. Because we're not talking about the breath that animates flesh, which is life, the Spirit, God. Now we're talking about the breath that brings with it a spiritual reality. 
For the disciples already have breath, don't they? This is inspired living on a whole new level, a whole new plane. In John 4, Jesus talked about this a little bit. Or is it John 3? I Probably John 3. He's teaching Nicodemus. And he talks about the rebirth. And of course, Nicodemus literalizes it. What, I'm supposed to enter my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus says, don't be ridiculous. You're a teacher and I have to explain this to you. You're born of flesh. But there's a time for that to transition for you to be born of spirit. Remember John the Baptist saying of Jesus, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming who's going to baptize you with fire and with the spirit. Do you recall these texts? Inspired living is in part choosing in our lives to give our bodies and our minds and our spirits space to actually inhale, to breathe in the gift that God gives us in every day of life, to feel His presence in existence, for He is the ground of our existence. Acts 17 says, In Him we live and move and what? Have our being, Acts 17.42. Breathing, feeling, living. I'm tempted to depression. I'm tempted to greed. I'm tempted to all of the things that any of us are tempted to. And I have to remind myself, inspired living is being in the moment grateful for the breath of God that inhabits me now. And then, to take it a step further, inspired living means a new consciousness Nicodemus wasn't going to get baptized in water by John or Jesus and come up somehow magically different because of the water. He was going to come up magically different because it was a symbol of something so much more important. It was a symbol of a spiritual consciousness that God was going to bring to him, that Jesus was speaking of. And now the disciples receive this spirit, this breath of Christ, and it comes to them as an authority and a power, a sharing in the life of God in a way that they had never shared in it before. Does that appeal to you at all? It does to me. It's inspired living on hormones. It's inspired living on, uh, on speed. <laughs> Oh, that was a bad analogy. It was inspired living built and magnified and grown in new dimensions and new ways. We're almost out of time, but 1 Corinthians 15 deals with this too. My friend Albert Garcilazzo, his wife teaches at Glendale Adventist Elementary, the middle school there in Nancy. He's earned a Ph.D. and his thesis is on Stoicism and Paul. And he uh, targets 1 Corinthians 15 in some very interesting ways. If you read 
The conclusion of 1 Corinthians 15, if you know anything about Stoicism, you know where this fits. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Does that sound like Stoicism to you? Okay, maybe we don't know what Stoicism is. That's okay. Very briefly, in a nutshell, the Stoics were those who stood firm, who didn't move. They were the unflappable, unemotional, deliberate ones. They were the ones who did not waver, as opposed to the Dionysians who took great joy in dancing and flitting. And there were other categories. But the Stoics, among other things, were philosophers. They weren't just living a certain way. This was born of a philosophy. And this echoes that philosophy. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that you labor. your labor in the Lord is not being. That's the conclusion of 1 Corinthians 15. Very Stoic. So Albert's on his way to making his case. But the chapter is on resurrection. And the question is asked, presumably a Stoic question, a hypothetical Stoic question in 1 Corinthians 15.35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body will they come? And Paul says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps a wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he's determined. And each kind of seed he gives to its own body, presumably according to its kind. Verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in doxa and glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown as a natural body, and it is raised as a spiritual body. Because if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being because of the breath of God. And the last Adam, a life-giving spirit, one who breathes life also into things. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth. The second man was from where? Heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. As is and as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I'd like to suggest that the inspiration the inspired living that maybe we all need is the breath of Christ. It's not just animation as physical beings, but an awareness, an awakening, an animation as spiritual beings. For the seeds are being sowed now of what we will be. And we don't know exactly what that is. But God does. And whereas we're weak and ignoble and all of those sorts of things, we shall put on something else. 
just as Christ has put on immortality, and we who have lived in him have died with him, and so we partake in resurrection with him. Are you with me or have I lost you? Yeah. So my appeal today is, don't let Sears and Oakwood Estates and Target and Kmart and Nordstrom and advertisers everywhere confuse you. Inspired living is nothing less than a life infused with God. Whether we acknowledge that in the simple breath that we take, that is His life lived out in us until we expire. Or as we acknowledge that in the breath that carries with it the authority and the spirit and the power of a living God who calls us into not just a community in the here and now, but in the eternal hereafter.